Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show, where we interview fighters and firebrands on the political and cultural battlefields. With us today is Sam Sorbo, a fierce and unapologetic advocate of God and homeschooling. She's the host of the Sam Sorbo Show, a nationally syndicated radio program, as well as an actress, an author, a lecturer, a mother of three homeschooled children, and the husband of Kevin Sorbo, who played Hercules in a very popular TV show that ran for six seasons in the 1990s. Sam, the wife, welcome to the program. The Sorry? I'm the wife, not the husband. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I know, know. We get confused these days. Who's doing what? But no, I'm the wife. <laughs> yes. No, thank you. I'm sorry about that. And it's yes. okay. <laughs> okay. So welcome. Uh, I want to first ask you about God in the, in the public schools. So in the early 1960s, the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution prohibits public schools from teaching the Bible or holding prayer sessions. Their ruling was ridiculous. The authors of the First and Fourteenth Amendments clearly did not intend to expel God from public schools. And if they had, it wouldn't have taken 100 years for someone to figure that out. But the court issued its ruling anyway, and the American people decided to obey the ruling, which in retrospect was probably a mistake. In any event, it's 60 years later now. What do you see as the societal consequences of the Supreme Court's ruling? Are they significant, not significant? What do you say? Oh, my gosh. Of course, they're tremendously significant. It's the Supreme Court ruling, of course, that creates a whole new sort of subculture. The believers become the subculture. But God was misrepresented in the schools for a very long time prior to them removing him altogether. And I simply point to the Bible for that. The God of the Bible never says to the family, make sure you find a good school for your child in Deuteronomy. He says, these are my words. Teach them to your children diligently. Teach them when you walk by the by. Teach them when you lie down to sleep. Hang them on the mantel posts of your house, right? So We've been ignoring that admonition for a very long time, which is why we ended up with schools in the first place. Interesting. My second question was going to be, would you still be as fierce of an advocate for homeschooling if God had not been taken out of the public schools? Yeah, so I'm not actually advocating for homeschooling anymore because I've realized school actually is the problem. School itself is child abuse. School is anti-God. School is anti-child. School is anti-education. Let's define education. Is education not at least, at the very least, a quest for knowledge, right? And then we have to say, okay, so what's the first thing a child learns when they go to school? What's the first thing the child learns he has to do before he asks a question? Raise your hand, right? Well, what does that teach the child? And by the way, it's a visceral lesson. And this lesson is actually a barrier to entry. This lesson is I have to draw attention to myself. I have to to basically broadcast to the world that I'm the stupid one. I need my question answered. I have to ask permission to have my question answered, which is, of course, completely the wrong message to send to the child. In fact, the message of raising your hand in the classroom is the message, don't ask. Don't ask. And what was the definition of education? A quest for knowledge. What does a quest for knowledge begin with? A question. So the whole paradigm has been upended, and this is why God in the Bible never says, find a good school for your child. But we have been convinced by a system that educated us 
to believe in what? In the system. Wait, why would we allow them to enslave us to the point where we feel completely incapable and we are reliant on them? Please, please educate my child. And this is why we have parents today who are saying, but they're not doing education. Those parents, God bless them, probably can't actually define education. So they define it how? The way the school taught them to define it, which is purely academic, which leaves God out of the picture from the get-go. And of course, how does that work out? Well, if you leave God out, you leave out the truth. Well, now we have a system that teaches nothing but lies. And by the way, I don't denigrate teachers. I think by and large, we have wonderful teachers who are serving in a very perverted and corrupted system. And so I beg teachers, please, if you have values, get out of a system that is actually infusing anti-values into children and abusing children, because I believe that it's child abuse to tell a child to shut up, because God made children curious. Why? Why not make them complacent, like the school prefers, that they just lie down and let the world happen to them, let life happen to them without raising a ruckus, without asking questions, which is the culture that we live in today. Trust the experts. Don't ask. Why would God make children curious? If you ask yourself that, you have to answer because he wants the child to seek him in all things. Right, but I, just to play devil's advocate. Quest ad- for knowledge right. is actually the quest for God. Right, so just to play devil's advocate, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but presumably, historically what happened was, you know, you had a bunch of parents, some parents knew more than others, some parents said, you know what, I'll let my neighbor who knows a lot more than me, let him teach my kids. And he had like maybe five or 10 kids. Parents got together and said, the best among us will teach the kids while we have, we're busy, we need to go to work. We're not as knowledgeable as our neighbor anyways. That's presumably how schools got started. So what would be wrong with that kind of system? Well, the way schools got started was in theory, the one room schoolhouse, right? So that was the practice. It was somebody who had book learning who could teach the children how to follow God. That was what it was. And how best to follow God? Well, let's teach them how to read because how else are they going to learn the Bible? In fact, let's just use the Bible to teach them how to read because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, a little bit of mathematics is good, a little bit of arithmetic, right? These are the three R's, right? And so we then adopted this mentality that education was the three R's. When we know better, we know better. In fact, if you ask yourself, if you work for a living, do you do that for which you were prepared in your school? And the answer typically is not really. Most of what I do for my living today, I learned outside of school. I learned after school. I learned postgraduate. Typically, that's the answer. And a lot of people do something that they completely weren't schooled for. But how did they learn? If they didn't go to school, how did they learn? That's crazy. We believe as a culture, you learn only in school. Not that you learn in school and then some. No. You learn only in school. In fact, I often say that the core competency of our schools is to teach people how incompetent they are. Because if you didn't earn an A in it, what are your credentials? How dare you do a podcast? Who taught you to do a podcast? Where did you go to school? Are you degreed in doing a podcast? And yet here we sit, Elliot, you're interviewing me. Who taught you how to interview? Who taught you how to ask questions? How did you get a gold star for asking questions? Do you see my point? Yes. So- We need to take a step back and completely impeach everything that we think about education because everything we think about education was taught to us by 
the master in the big house. And yet here we are as parents running up to the big house and begging, begging the master, please just teach my child the three R's. Please let him not be cursed with the enslavement mentality that you're putting all of these children through right now. Enslavement to their basest whims and desires. Enslavement to the lie that children can change genders at will. Mind you, at 18, they have to apply to get a license to have a gun. But at age five, they can dictate their own gender. They can just do that. And and by the way, pull the trigger before their 18th birthday on whether they get top surgery or bottom surgery or any number of hormonal things that completely change their lives permanently for the rest of their lives. It's a disaster. So what's your ideal system? So I advocate for home learning, wherein the parents take charge of, basically, it's called parenting. Yes, there's the educational aspect of that that is purely academic. Academics are excellent. But there are children out there who are not academically inclined. So why are you burdening them with this feeling of insecurity, this feeling of inferiority because they are not inclined in that direction? And of course, they compare themselves to everybody, as the parents have learned to do. So we step away from that, and then you offer your child the Bible, the classics, the good literature. And you start teaching them values and morals and how to follow God. And then you will have a whole child who is a good citizen, who knows how to give and forgive, who knows how to be forthrighteous with people, who knows the difference between truth and a lie. You know, one of the biggest struggles we have today, I think, is that all of these children are going through a system of lies. They know that it's a lie. And there's nothing they can do about it because their parents are saying to them, those liars in the schools know better than I do. And so then the child loses faith in the parent and is lost, seriously lost. And we're just allowing it to happen. Why? Because we were trained by master in the big house into this enslavement mentality. And so we're begging master, please, please go easy on my child or please put the three R's back in school. It was never about the three R's. This is what we fail to understand. You led this interview with this idea that they took God out of the schools. And I'm here to tell you, it started way before then. Initially, God was in the schools because that was the purpose of an education, to know the Lord and to make him known. But we got lulled into this sense of, well, they're the educators. They know better than we do. So if they're telling us that the Bible has no place in school, then I guess we just have to trust them. And the Supreme Court went along, right? And well, the Supreme Court, there's the law of the land. They know everything. Well, you know, yay for the Supreme Court, right? Even though we know in our heart of hearts, that can't be because there is a woman sitting on the Supreme Court today who cannot define what a woman is. Why are we following her or anybody who sits on the Supreme Court unless they have proven themselves good and honest and truthful? And so we're, we're caught in this conundrum because we were raised this way. So all of us have gone through this system. If you step foot in a school, you've been injured by the school. For instance, are you a math person? Do you like math? I happen to, yes. Okay. So you and I, we love math because math spoke to us. Were you also a person who really loved history in school? History is so-so. English was my worst. Okay. So you would probably say... I have a math brain, but I'm not really the linguist. I'm not really the, right? 
right? I mean, that ironically, is what I, I want to, yeah, ironically, I wound up doing writing for a living. But yes, yes, in school, definitely. I did not like writing at all. You and me both. Okay. You and, I'm, I'm totally identifying with you. I was the math brain. I loved science, STEM. I went to Duke University. I studied biomedical engineering. I hated history. History was the worst. Why? Because they taught me to hate history. When I got to Duke, I had to take a history class to graduate high school, actually, through a weird thing. Anyway, I took the hardest history class I could find and found that actually when they make history challenging and interesting enough, it's fascinating. And I fell in love with history. Who knew? I have a history brain, right? But I was convinced, no, history's over here. Math is over here. If you're math and science, you're not history and language, right? I speak five, by the way. Like, it's crazy the lies that are just in the system. You know, another huge lie? A huge lie is that teenagers rebel naturally. They just naturally rebel. It's actually funny. That was my next question you, to you, by the way. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Forgive me for speaking Christianese. <laughs> it's a lie from the pit of hell. Um, children shouldn't naturally rebel. The reason that they do is that the culture and the culture of the school teaches them that parents are worthless and that their job is to rebel, basically, because only through rebellion can you really be your own person. That's absurd. That's absurd. There's one truth. There's only one truth. Goethe said the truth is a very narrow path. Stupidity is the never-ending jungle. We are consigning children who are in school today to never-ending stupidity, never-ending jungle, and that's child abuse. So, you know, I raised three teenagers. I remember people used to say, oh, my gosh, roll their eyes, right? Oh, three teenagers. You've got your hands full. And I would say to them, full of love, um, what are you getting at, right? And right. I will tell you, and, and by the way, I homeschooled my children because back then I bought into the three R's. I thought education was purely academic. And so I bought into that. So I schooled my first two. I'll get to my third in a minute. But um, my husband travels and travels a lot. And so on any given weeknight, he might be out of town. I would go to my bed and I would have my laptop and in the quiet of my bedroom, I'd be working. And on any given evening, one of my children, one of my teenagers would come into my bedroom and sit on the end of my bed and just pour out their day. And I would take my computer and I would close it up and put it to the side. And in my head, I'd do a recalculation. Okay, you're not going to bed as early as you thought because this, this relationship, this is much more important than that. But our culture and our schools teach us my relationship with my child, not worth anything. Money is much more important. So we're sending children into the world thinking that their self-worth is tied intrinsically to college prep and career readiness. And I know this is hard for people to hear. And I apologize for the harshness of this message. But it's the truth that when you're 60 and you're looking at the downhill and you've been deprived of spirituality because you were deprived, you were forcibly deprived of it because the school taught you that it knew what education was. Everything else is ancillary and superfluous. Because if the school is teaching you what education is, I don't care how much time you spend in the church, you're not going to trust your Bible. I don't care how much time you spend at synagogue. If you're not reading the Torah and studying the Torah, you're not going to trust it. If you go through a system of indoctrination that we call schooling or education, if you go through that, 
you are mistrustful of all of that ancillary stuff because it wasn't covered in school. It's a lie of omission. And in that sense, when you're 60, you're looking at the downhill, you're going, well, spirituality, give or take, like it might be nice, but uh, it wasn't for me because obviously that's just a choice that some weak people make or what have you, right? And you think, okay, I didn't make the grade. I didn't make the money. That's why I'm not happy. That's not true. Money doesn't buy you happiness. So then if you make the grade, say you grab the brass ring, say you're like super successful. Okay, great. Why am I not happy? Because you have no spirituality. There's no purpose for your life. In fact, part of the reason I say school is child abuse is we teach children that they're just a bunch of random chemical accidents. Their lives have no meaning. And then we wonder why they grow up nihilistic and then go back and shoot up schools. The source of all of their illness is the schools that have taught them that their lives have no value. And if their lives have no value, then none of those lives have any value. It's a tragedy. And it's so easily remedied. Keep your children with you. Teach them who you are in the world. Teach them how to be in the world. Teach them values. Teach them virtue. And then, yes, some academics is good because they should know how to read because then they can learn anything they want. But not if you train them to believe that all knowledge comes from a teacher and that they have to wait patiently to receive knowledge like a baby bird being fed by its mother. And by the way, it's no wonder children are going up, spending a bunch of government money to go to college because they've been trained to do that, right? How great a Ponzi scheme is that? And they go to college and they end up with a degree in basket weaving. They can't rub two nickels together. And now they're demanding that the government pay off their student loans. You know what? They've got a case to make because the government trained them to borrow the money to go to college. You have to go to college at any cost, at any cost. There's no financial logic to this. You just have to go to college because if you don't get that college degree, you're worthless as a person. Whereas the kid who says, you know what, I just don't have book learning. I'm going to be a plumber is making multiple millions of dollars because he's found out trade that actually provides a service that people actually need. I was reading Seneca the other day and he was saying, I mean, I don't know enough about him. Sorry. Of course you were. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) So he was writing he said, why are we studying, like you were saying, all these academic disciplines? He said, what you need to study is philosophy. And back then, philosophy, he said, is wisdom. Philosophy teaches you how to live the good life, what's desirable to chase after, what's desirable to not chase after, how to view death, how to view life, what's good, what's virtue, what's vice. He said, that's what you need to study. Wisdom, philosophy, all else, he said, is really, basically, you're saying secondary or even tertiary. I was surprised. Right. It's tertiary because it doesn't get you anywhere. Let's impeach this for just a minute. We think of education as the three R's, right? That's what the parents are now fighting with the school boards. Hey, stop indoctrinating my children. Mind you, education is indoctrination. It should be. It is the teaching of doctrine, which is a set of beliefs. And you better be teaching your children a set of beliefs because if you're not, somebody else is. And you might not agree with their set of beliefs like many people are finding with the schools now, okay? The, the best way to disable your child is to send him to school. Your child will forever be disabled from voicing an opinion properly, from holding his ground, from, right? So, I mean, we can go back to the 1950s and 60s, and they had this thing that they put into schools called duck and cover. And it was the antidote, it was the answer for the nuclear holocaust. And if there was a nuclear bomb, To save yourself, you should duck and cover. Now, 
on the face of it, everybody goes, but that's ridiculous. If there's a nuclear bomb, ain't no hiding under a desk for that child, right? And yet we were so compliant. Why? Because we were taught never question the educators. You have to raise your hand to ask a question. You better have permission to ask a question, right? And so we disabled an entire generation from what? Taking a stand. We actually trained them to cower in shame. This is what we trained the next generation after the greatest generation. And now we're wondering why there's no leadership in the country. There's so little leadership that's available to us in the country. This is a big problem in the church. It's probably a big problem in the synagogues. You've got rabbis who they study the Torah, but they think that they should take a back seat to culture. Or they think that they shouldn't meddle with culture. They shouldn't speak on culture because culture is, you know, separate. I mean, the church had an entire movement in the 1700s called pietism. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's politics. Just stay. That's dirty. Stay out of politics. This is the church. Let's keep the church clean. I'm sorry. God's word applies whether you like it or not, frankly. <laughs> Just like gravity. Gravity applies. You can disagree with gravity. You can jump off the 27th story of a building, but gravity will catch up with you because it's a law and God's law is the law. And you can decide if you agree with it or disagree with it. But I'll tell you, if you fight it, you wrestle God, you're going to go away injured. <laughs> I want to move on, but I just want to push back a teeny bit. I mean, it's good for kids to have some measure of respect for authority, is it not? Well, of course, they should respect their parents first and foremost. Do you think they respect a parent that drops them off at an institution that's bent on telling them lies? That's how they lose respect for their parents. Listen to me. The parent drops the child off at school at kindergarten and tells the child, I've taught you how to tie your shoe. I've taught you how to use a knife and fork. I've taught you how to, um, I don't know, how to say please and thank you, right? I've taught you all these things. My job is done. I'm completely inept at this point. Trust the experts. They will show you what to do. I cede my authority. My authority I am transferring to the school. That child will never respect the parents. The parent has just undermined his own respect inside his home. The first time the child comes home and says, well, Johnny turned into a girl today. The teacher says so. And dad says, but that's, that's ridiculous. You can't believe that. Who's the child going to believe? You've just tortured your child into this unwinnable situation where you've told the child, believe the school, and now you're telling the child the school is lying, but are you sending him back to school the next day? Darn straight you are, because you don't know any better, because the school taught you. Trust the school. Okay, but what about parents, though, who simply, they say, I, I don't have the time, we both are working for a living, whatever it is, I, yeah. we can't do it. What do you say to them? Yeah. It's called priorities. Your children aren't worth it. Okay. I can't fix that. I'm sorry for your loss. It is a loss. You are sacrificing. You have no idea what you're sacrificing. You've bought the lie that the culture tells you that you're, you're choosing the easy way out by sending your child into school. That, that's the lie, okay? You can choose. I'm just here t trying to tell you the truth. That's the lie. There is so much more to be gained for you as the parent of a child in choosing to parent that child. But it's your choice. God gave us free will. He told us, he gave us the recipe, Deuteronomy, teach these words to your children, and in several other places, and in a few places, he, he admonishes grandparents. Yes, it's the grandparents' responsibility too. And by the way, every adult, is, to a certain degree, is called to parent. 
but that's sort of a, a discussion for another time. You have hard choices to make. I get it because you believe lies and I'm here trying to tell you the truth. You think you're just winning when you sacrifice your child on the altar of the school. You think you're winning because they taught you you're going to win. And how are you going to win? Oh, I don't know. You'll make more money. You'll be able to buy a fancier car. I don't know. What, what lies are you buying? I don't Whatever lies you're buying. Okay. What I'm telling you is that sacrificing that child is costing you the greatest price you will ever pay for anything ever. And that's a hard message to bring to people, but it is the God's own truth because I've lived it three times over. My daughter, when we moved back to California, um, after my husband, we lived in New Zealand and he was on the path to recovery. He got very ill right before we got married. And that's why I gave up my career. Thank God, because God showed me that was necessary. Thank God. I gave up my career and we moved to, when he was better, a little bit better, we moved to Vancouver. He was still on the mend. I couldn't go back to my career in Vancouver because that was Canada and that's the way they work up there. Um, We moved back to LA and I had three small children and I thought, but this is great. I'm back in LA. I'll be able to pursue acting again. And mind you, I was successful as an actress. So this wasn't like a a far cry for me. I, I did half a season on Chicago Hope. I did some big movies. Like I was there. So this would be pretty easy to sandwich myself back into. And I went on a couple of auditions That's three hours outside the home each time, basically. And I came home and my little toddler ran after me, Octavia, my third, with her little finger out. And she said, no, 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 no. I thought, what's this about? I picked her up, put her on my hip, and she turned to the nanny, who she adored. And she said, bye-bye. Like, done with you. This is what I want. I want mommy. Children want their parents. They want to emulate their parents. They want their parents to show them what it is to be an adult. They want to be adult. And we infantilize them by submitting them to the schools that teach them that they're nothing more than an accident of nature and that they're just like every other child and conformity is the highest value. You want your child to be unique. You don't consign him to that system. You want your child to be a free thinker, a strong thinker, somebody who is beholden to the truth. You don't send them into a system of lies. You know, we really need to rethink the way that we think about education. By the way, our education system is training workers for the 1900s. So good luck with that because half the jobs that these kids who are going through the system now are going to take haven't been invented yet. So good luck to the educators in training your child in what he needs to do even just for his living. But at the same time, by omission, we aren't training the children how to be good people, how to be reasonable, how to stand up for what's right, how to fight, how to lay down, how to negotiate with people. We don't teach them negotiation. We don't teach them how to balance a bank account. And we say they're accomplishing education. We know that that's a lie. But we've been so indoctrinated by the system of lies that we don't know how to get out of it. And so parents are constantly saying to me, well, I, I could never homeschool my kid. I, I don't know how. And I just say to them, okay, did you graduate high school? And they're like, yeah. I go, but you feel incapable of teaching a second, th- a fourth grade or whatever. And they go, yeah. And I go, but you're, you still think it's better to send that child into the system that turned out the likes of you, the failure that you are, nothing personal. This is, I'm just taking your words and reflecting them back to you. 
you think that putting your child into that system, which arguably is so much worse than when you went to school and you know it is, but you still think that that's the best choice for him. I can't fix stupid, but I can teach people who are open to considering truth. And so I'll just throw this in there. I created the Underground Education Playbook for Home Learning. In fact, this lives on my website, samsorbo.com. It is a workbook. So there are pages that you fill in because you have to do some deep thinking on this. What do you want for your child? Did you give birth to a cash register? Because that's what they're training your child to be. They're tying your child's intrinsic value to the amount of money he or she can make. And I get it, man. That's the American dream. You want your child to make buck, right? But that's not really what you want. Because really what you want is relationship. Because when you're 60 or 70, you want grandchildren. You want to have a relationship with your child. You want to have a relationship of mutual respect. And you know what? I train my children up to respect me and to respect Kevin. And we also trained ourselves to respect them. My gosh, my children are amazing. They're amazing. And I didn't do that. God did that. But God showed me, I'll tell you this, when my youngest was about five, her name's Octavia, and she obviously liked to draw. So I said to her, you know, if you like to draw, you should draw for 15 minutes a day. I figured either she would lean in and really discover a love and a talent, or she would give up and then we could check that off the list and move on to the next thing for her to try. And so she started drawing about three hours a day. And she became quite adept. In fact, you can find her on Instagram. Her art is amazing. And so when she was about 12, 11, 12, I started to, I hit my knees and I prayed to God because my oldest is an actor. I've got that covered. I can teach that. My second is an engineer. Well, I went to school for engineering. I can teach that. I can get him to college. I, can, I know how to, how to do that system, right? And I was still of this idea that education requires teaching from an outside entity. And so I started praying about this and I asked people and somebody said to me, well, you know, Sam, if she really likes art and she likes drawing like humans, maybe an anatomy class. And I'm like, yes, I will find an anatomy teacher. I will delegate my responsibilities like many parents think that they're doing when they send their children to school. And the teacher will teach her anatomy. And then I will have done my part. And I ran up to her room. And like I said, she was 11 or 12. And I said, anatomy class, right? And she said, oh, mom, as only, you know, an 11-year-old can do with the little, aren't you precious, right? And she pulled out her sketchbook and she opened it up to a double-page drawing of the interior workings of the human knee in various positions. And I said, oh, you're teaching yourself? How did this happen? I didn't even know, right, that she's her own best teacher, okay? So this goes back to, are you doing what you were trained to do in school, full stop? No, you're doing more than that because you taught yourself. Who taught you how to lease your first apartment? Who taught you how to lease your first car? Who taught you how to buy a car? Who taught you all of these things, right? There are lots of things. Who taught you how to open a bank account? No, you just went into the bank and you said, I need a bank account. And they said, oh, I can help you with that. Let me show you how. And you taught yourself, this is how I open a bank account. This is how I buy groceries. This is how I do this, that, and the other thing. But we are so bought into this system of lies that we believe that we learn things that we didn't learn from other people. So it's a hard leap to make. I get it. 
but it's possible. And then when you do that, you set your children free and they learn so much more than you could ever fathom. And they love it. They love it. Give your children the Bible. Give them the Bible from a young age. Give them the Torah from a young age. You probably don't have any idea what's happening in the classrooms of your children. Goodness, the church has no idea what's happening in the classrooms of the churches. You talk to parents who send their children to, to kids' church, they put on veggie tales. The parents never ask, what did my child learn today? And then we've dumbed down all the stories of the Bible. Noah's Ark? That's some guy, and he got two of every animal, and they just got on this ark, and it rained a lot. And no, the Noah of the Bible is a flippin' hero. The Noah of the Bible stood up to the whole of human culture, of depravity, that was telling him, you're an idiot. You're building this big boat. Why? You're an idiot for listening to God. We have that story, but we dumb it down to a stupid little fairy tale for children We feed it to them. We half buy into that ourselves, even though we're telling ourselves, no, I really believe in God. I really believe in what God says in the Bible. We don't. And so then we wonder why our children grow up and they leave the faith. Noah was an incredible, incredible human being to do what he did. Or don't you believe the Bible? Oh, okay. Well, maybe you don't. Well, I can't help you with that. It's the truth. And yet, The lie lives because they control the levers of the culture. They control it. They control the narrative. Don't consign your children to that. All right. Other than that, I have no opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so very much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. That does it for us. If you'd like to learn more about Sam Sorbo, look in the episode description. You'll find a link there to her website and to one of her books on Amazon. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to it and possibly even leaving a complimentary comment. Stay tuned for next week's episode and have a pleasant day or a pleasant night, depending on when you're listening to this interview.